0: Good evening, listeners of the Latin Prayer Podcast. I am so excited to share with you an interview that I've done with Father Robert Frommageau of FSSP. I've been wanting to interview Father for a while, particularly because of his background in music and chant in particular, but also because he has a tremendous love for the Latin language. In this interview we cover his vocation story, his formation through FSSP, why particularly the extraordinary mass Latin, and we talk about projects that we're going to be doing together that I think will be very useful to the listeners of the Latin Prayer podcast. Many of you have been requesting teaching Latin videos, and that is something that Father Fromageau and I are going to be working on together. So I apologize for the audio quality, we did not have this planned thoroughly in advance, it was very impromptu, really just throwing up a microphone in between the two of us and having a conversation. And so there are interruptions, there are noises in the background, but stay with it. The content is what you're after. I tried to edit it several times um, to try to edit out phone calls coming in and things like that, but eventually I just gave up and figured I would not delay in throwing up the episode. So here it is. I hope you enjoy. This is Father Robert Frommergeau and myself having a conversation about all things Latin and Catholic. God love you. Valete. Well, good morning, Father. Good morning, Dylan. Thank you so much for saying yes to being interviewed for uh, the Latin Prayer Podcast. Uh, I wanted to start off just by asking you a little bit about yourself. Maybe you can give some of the listeners a short history lesson of uh, where your vocation came from, and then in particular, how did you end up Uh, Part of the FSSP, why the traditional Latin rite?
1: All right, so unlike perhaps many of our priests, I grew up in the uh, Novus Ordo Church. I was going to church long before the FSSP even existed. When I went to college, however, at Thomas Aquinas College, that was the first place I was introduced to Latin in the liturgy because even though it was the Novus Ordo, the Ordinary Form as uh, it's called now, uh, the, everything was in Latin except for the readings, I believe. So that was my uh, introduction to a more conservative expression of the new mass communion rails, uh, veils, a lot of women wore veils. Mm -hmm. There was Gregorian chant, polyphony. Wow! So uh, it was a very unusual, rare expression of the ordinary form compared to what I had experienced, not just in my hometown growing up, but also in the military where I saw any number of things conservative chaplains versus very liberal chaplains Mm -hmm.
2: and so that's when I discerned that there was actually a difference
1: in quality liturgically speaking in the world of the Novus Ordo right I had experienced that myself now my uh, the summer before my freshman year Mm -hmm. I was working at the college and there was a a fellow student who was entering his sophomore year who looked very monastic in his bearing. He, had, he was bald, he had a beard, a scraggly beard. Oh, wow. Very somewhat introverted, very quiet. So it seemed to me that he was interested in a vocation. I thought maybe a Benedictine monastery. Right. So I asked him one day, well, are you thinking of a vocation where and so forth? And he said, yes, I'm thinking of, uh, the fraternity of St. Peter. I said, what's that? I never heard of it. So this was 1990. Mm-hmm. So the fraternity was only two years old at the time. Right. So that was my first exposure just to the mention of the fraternity of St. Peter. During my four years there, I was also introduced to the old mass. Mm-hmm. And it's not as though the first time I went, I was bold, blown away and said, oh, this is, what am I doing with the Novus Ordo? It wasn't that. Uh, it, because I wasn't going frequently enough for that to happen, I think. Right. I think I went to a Requiem Mass. That was my first Mass, wow. actually, that I went to. It was in the fall. It was for the, for the anniversary, I think, of a, of a priest uh, who actually ministered up here in Vancouver and uh, a lot of the students down there knew him and so they they had this Requiem Mass now I I was a little bit distracted because I didn't know I didn't know that it was going to be a Requiem Mass I was a bit blindsided and I was like what is going on here is this is this is this is so forth right yeah so I was not in the proper mindset to appreciate what was going on in any case my junior year
2: Mm It was very interesting. Uh, for
1: the the Holy Thursday Mass, the Maundy Thursday Mass, as it's called, I was asked to sing with another two or three people at a Maundy Thursday Mass that was going to be done in the extraordinary form. Mm-hmm. At the same time well and I said yes, okay, but at yeah. the same time I was I was a part of the school and the choir of that, of the, the Novus Ordo community, let's call right. it that. So, and, I, and it hadn't occurred to me at the time that technically speaking, you're supposed to have only one mass in any given community. So there sh- officially there should have been only the one mass mm-hmm. on campus, but the, it turns out because of the decision or the determination of one of the chaplains, he wanted to have the old mass, maybe two, provide for the needs of those students who had a certain attachment to it. Right. uh, To uh, paraphrase Benedict XVI. Mm -hmm. So I said yes, that's fine. It didn't didn't occur to me this is a problem, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so we we sang at the the Novo version of the Maundy Thursday Mass and this was no cheap mass or it wasn't liturgically it was pretty good in retrospect it could have been even better but Mm -hmm. musically speaking we had uh, I think it was the Misa Papa of Palestrina. Wow. Famous mass. Uh, We had Gregorian chant. Mm -hmm. Uh, So everything was was pretty pretty good compared to most other places celebrating mass that evening. So Mm -hmm. right after the blessed sacrament was was Processed as it is after right. Monday Thursday Mass and put in the on the altar of repose. Then uh, a friend of mine and I uh, dashed down to the other smaller chapel, mm-hmm. another part of the campus, where everybody was waiting for us to get there. And so we started. We did the exact, pretty much the same Mass. Only it was the the old form. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chant was the same, as I recall. We didn't have polyphony. Okay. Um, and. The but the effect, the the impact of that liturgy, uh, was very different from the impact of the
0: the new. Yeah.
1: And the new, the again, what I had just uh, participated in was was pretty high level. That's right. Liturgically speaking. And even though it was just a a misa cantata, not the it wasn't all this all the stops are being pulled right. here. Right. Right. It's a misa cantata, fairly. Relatively simple musically, mm-hmm. just Gregorian chant. Uh, both of us, we, we left there thinking, you know, what just happened? That was so right. incredible, and the sense of the transcendent was was overpowering. So uh, that's that got me to to thinking. At the time, I was I was contemplating a, a priestly vocation anyway. Uh, But I realized it's not simply a matter of going to finding a conservative diocese or going to a seminary that will be orthodox. I now had to consider the liturgy (laughs) because I knew that if a liturgy existed out there that was permitted, that was qualitatively uh, more dense and, and had a certain depth to it, uh, that put the focus on the Eucharist so much more powerfully right. than than what I was normally used to. Uh, I would not be able to uh, exercise or operate properly as a priest in the Novus Ordo, knowing that that liturgy existed. Right? Totally. I, was, I was undermining myself. I'd go crazy, especially given the, the the artistic depth of the Old Mass, which I was I had gradually uh, became uh, aware of. Uh, it just so happened that the, the same chaplain, I think his father had died, okay. and he wanted to, this was the following semester, and he wanted to have a set of Gregorian Masses said for him, and so, and he wanted to do that in the Old Mass, so he, this a 30 day period State. of celebrating uh, Mass with the intention of the, the deceased in question. So. Mm. So the same friend of mine and I, we would, we would if we were available, we would uh, just show up and sing the Mass, right? Because we could, we could read chant pretty easily and we're both musicians, so that wasn't a problem. And the priest was all too happy to have some music and so
0: Absolutely. Forth. So uh,
1: that led to, so that was a, a much deeper exposure, a more prolonged exposure to mm-hmm. the old Mass with me singing in it. And then what I realized, was because i was still singing in the school in the choir for them.
0: that was my next question yes. was were you still attending yeah, and oh yes, participating sure. Yes. Okay.
1: so i got to compare even further right in this case it was the 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 way in which the parts of the mass and the partakers of the mass interact uh, by that i mean how how does the the say the introid interact with what the priest is doing in the sanctuary is there a lot of waiting around in the sanctuary while we're doing our thing, and vice versa? Mm-hmm. What's how is it coordinated? What's the integration uh, quotient, if you will? Right. And and I I could see that the 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 old mass integrated these various parts better, uh, with the exception of something like the gradual and the Alleluia, where where the the priest is is. Uh, Stationary, and it makes sense because the gradual is actually a, a time for people to meditate, to do, to engage in a little bit of mental prayer about what they just heard, mm-hmm. maybe what they're about to hear. Mm-hmm. It gives them that time and space. Mm-hmm. So even the priest is is seated. Uh, so he's not just waiting. He's he's if he's savvy, if he's exploiting the liturgy for how it's supposed to be used. He's he's meditating on the mysteries of the faith, or some some detail mentioned yeah. in scripture, or whatever. Right. Or maybe about what he's going to preach on. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He <laughs> yeah. may not have prepared. You know, yeah. Listen. So uh, so that that that's makes sense. But for example, during the offertory, um, the there may be. You can, the, the the choir can sing the offertory and maybe a motet, stuff like this, and the priest can carry on with what he's doing. He doesn't have to stop uh, in order to say the people or right. pray brethren,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he doesn't have to do that. He can he goes right up to the beginning of the preface. Right? That's right, yeah. And so there's no, there, that's what I mean by a certain integration, and while the Sanctus is being sung. he. Recites the Sanctus himself because mm-hmm. he's he's acting in persona Christi, has mm-hmm. been, uh, configured to the head of the of the body of Christ, namely Christ. And so, since worship is going through the head, mm-hmm. he's not just going to ignore that. He too will will say it to himself, even if it's being sung at the same time. And he's not going to sing with the choir because he that enables him to carry on with the canon. Yes. And so, by the time the Sanctus is finished, if say it's a, a Chanted the Sanctus, then he's usually around the Hunk Iji tour. That's right. Uh, by the time the Sanctus is finished. Uh, so this causes things to move along nice and smoothly. Whereas if the priest has to wait, uh, in order for the scientist to finish, then it's like you're at a, a ping pong or a tennis yep. match. Yep. The ball is in the court of the, of the, the choir
0: and then it yep. gets tossed over to the sanctuary. I in love back that court. analogy because, so, I, so this is all happening while, like you're you're noticing these differences yes. or these these uh, uh, movements uh, from one style versus another. Right, right. And you're, because I, I did music at a Novus Ordo parish for, 10 years, mm-hmm. and one of the ways as I was uh, exiting, one of the hardest things for me to do was to give up that ministry uh, because I built it from scratch. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I started doing was teaching other people. And the what you just said about the ping pong match, I would say the baton it's passing mm-hmm. the baton from, yeah, from okay. one to the other. And I, I, I'm I maybe have never been able to put it into words until just now, mm. because I was trying to wrestle with for a long time the differences and the similarities and why one way versus another, mm. and particularly in the, the sung masses in the, in the old rite, that it's, it flows, it's not a passing that's, of the baton. That's right. It, there's just some overlap there of that's right. one moves into the other, it's to movement. movement. Right. Essentially, in the,
1: in the old mass, in my experience, when I'm singing, I feel like I'm a part of the liturgy. <laughs> I'm, I'm a part of a greater whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, subordinate to what's going on at the sanctuary, of course, right. but I'm, we're, we're subordinate to that. In the New, uh, singing for the New, which, which I had done for many years, um, it's almost as though you, you feel as, as though, <clears throat> or at least you, you can be certainly easily tempted to think, that you have a spotlight on you, mm-hmm. which is a very different oh, totally. psychological no. feeling, yeah. and can lead to all kinds of of uh, yeah. temptations to pride and vain glory,
0: there, and, so and even just the the way that the church is designed in yeah, the, if the, if in the, the new mass. If, right, if you're up in the front, all the more. All oh up, yeah, go, hey, exactly, no. totally. So yeah. that's we'll that's, come we'll good. come back to the chant <laughs> stuff uh, yeah. later, but I I didn't want to to, to uh, tangent you off sure, your sure. your vocation story. That's right. So, so as as a result of
1: my encounter with the the old mass uh, at uh, Thomas Aquinas College, I decided then to to look into the Priestly Fraternity of Saint Peter myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Priestly Fraternity of Saint Peter. That's right. Yes. And uh, and so that was after about. 18 months of uh, working to pay off uh, what debt remained, mm-hmm. uh, I joined the fraternity and uh, never looked back. Wonderful. So the... What year was this now? That, that you was
0: 1996. 96, okay. Fall of 96. And then your formation process, how many years, what was that like? How many years okay, was that? Okay, like? so normally, uh, I believe it's
1: seven years, Okay. but... Because I had had a, a, a formation already in philosophy and to some extent theology mm-hmm. at TAC, uh, we were able to uh, to jump past the philosophy. We didn't have to take philosophy again. Right. So that was I don't know if they still do that. They probably don't. But uh, so I, I
0: you you were able, able
1: to accelerate that. your yes. All the TAC grads who went to the fraternities basically
0: had five years of formation rather than seven. Okay, wonderful. And then when you graduated out of the, um, and then, so uh, I know that, and this is all new to me because I'm still learning this, (laughs) because you were, there are uh, minor ordinations, am I saying that correctly?
1: Yes, or what are called the the old terminology, I should say, the traditional Mm
0: terminology, minor orders. Minor orders, okay. Right. So you're, first there's like, and I, I'm gonna get it wrong, but I know there's there's uh, a lector, uh, exorcist, right. acolyte. Like there's a whole bunch of different right porter, lector, exorcist, acolyte. Okay. But the 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 first
1: the first uh, big change. Uh, it's not an ordination, mm. but it was traditionally when a person entered into the clerical state. Mm-hmm until uh, the various reforms of Paul the Sixth, That was with tonsure. So traditionally when a person was tonsured, the tonsure used to be the sign, the outward sign that someone was in the clerical state. Hmm. And then that person would, would maintain the tonsure uh, unless he was bald or something, then of course. Yeah, then, have, sorry. was already a tonsure, yes. No
0: Sharpie on so, the side.
1: So, that you, that was the, the the sign of the of the clerical state. Not today. It's more the the, the collar, right? Uh, so uh, today, though, the so a person can still be tonsured but canonically speaking, he's not he's not a cleric. You, gotcha. you enter the clerical
0: state only with the diaconate. Correct. Yes. Right? So that's why they call him Reverend Mister at the that's diaconate. Right, yes. Right. Yeah. So the the
1: the tonsure and then the the various minor orders are uh, they essentially are seen as steps right. that lead to the priesthood Correct. and psychologically actually that's very important mm-hmm. where you you are getting closer to uh, that for which you are in the seminary in the first place yes and the with the various minor orders, there are certain liturgical roles that you can perform. Right? So an acolyte is the one that would serve mass right. at the low mass. Is yes, uh, and he he would be the one carrying the, the, the candles. That's, yes. that's that's why he's called an acolyte. It has mm-hmm. to do with the the it's the Greek word, but it, it has to do with, with carrying these these candles. Uh, the porter is someone who officially and traditionally would was opening up the door mm-hmm. uh, and maintaining order in the church. Right? Would, Which is not some sort it of, pressure. Have much of <laughs> right, <laughs> but it doesn't have much of a job if, if everything is relatively orderly at
0: least uh, and then with a the subdeaconate, mm-hmm. that's where you you then are
1: the subdeacon uh, at mass. And you're a little bit closer. You 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 have this privilege of removing the pall at mm. the priest's communion. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. The pall and and uh, uh, there might be something. Oh, you can wear the maniple. I was going to ask about the maniple. Uh, the maniple so okay. you, and your yeah. vestments are are on a, on a par with the the chasuble. Yeah. Th- Dalmatic, but you have the two. That somebody has a tunicle. And then with the diaconate, you're that much closer. That's right. right. You're, you're it's like that it. nice. Sash and You've all got legs. the soul. That's right, and stole, and you yeah. have the authority to preach. Right. You you can um, now liturgically, you're when the priest offers the chalice. Right. He the, the deacon uh, holds it with him. You wow. See? So another level. Right? Yes. You're, you're closer to the the. Uh, and yeah, what that does the for the deeper, mind of of right. the formation yeah, of it's, a, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's very psychologically wise to have these steps so that you're not the 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 change that is that comes about with the diaconate is not so dramatic right, right? if you i mean now people go to the seminary they might receive uh what they call now what do they call them uh, ministries instituted ministries or something i forget and they, they changed the word i think because they were uh, they were they had a problem with the equivocation of order. Right. Minor orders, well no, the only order is the priesthood. Right. Um, the diaconate. Yes. So those are so those what are called major orders. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's, this is true. The, the, we're not talking about sacraments with respect to the other right. things. Uh, still, they have a psychological purpose. And they are ordered to mm-hmm. the Eucharist. Right. There, is a, there's a, there's a, there is a basis in reality for calling them minor orders. Makes so much sense. You are in a certain place, right? Yes. You're ordered to a certain uh, place. So, and a function. So, uh, the, I mean, I just can't imagine how it feels to go from basically being a layman in some seminaries, the seminaries don't even wear clerical garb at all. Yeah. Until they reach the diaconate yeah. and so with the diaconate they, they take uh, you know vows of,
0: of chastity they take or not vows but promises Right. Uh, they enter into the
1: celibate state in a, in a very formal way uh and other clerics and then they have to preach and and so forth so they have they psychologically it seems that they haven't really been they haven't been able to take advantage yeah. of of these steps it's like you have to do a, a there's this one giant step you
0: gotta, you gotta, yeah, leap up to the, this high thing here. The yeah, to get up to, yeah, uh, and there's a beautiful image, um, of steps with the yes, minor I, I've right. seen this yes. in the, the old uh, right. manuals or mm-hmm. manuscripts, exactly. So you, so, you went through that process, you were, uh, and then uh, w- would you say that, um, did you, did you know, or did you, looking back, I'm sure. Into your development or growing up as in in the Novus Ordo was as you were going through seminary now and and uh, and and formation. Did you look back at that or look at the world around you um, at you know maybe what you were missing or what that 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 you have? Were you aware that the, that this is not how it's done everywhere else? That 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 this is something unique and something special and at that stage. Well. In the, when I was in the seminary, mm-hmm. as you were going
1: through this formation, yes. No, I knew I knew very well that that what we had, like the minor order stuff like this, Rest, this was yes. not typical. Okay, yeah, I mean that.
0: Okay, uh, and so now I've noticed that uh, your command was are switching gears here and, and, and turning that off? And by the way, that's phenomenal, beautiful formation story. Uh, where did your, I guess love or attachment to or attraction to uh, Latin and understanding it or getting a a, a firm grasp of it. Where did Mm -hmm. that begin in this process? Well, I would
1: say uh, prior to that uh, I have a a general love of language or at least an interest in Mm -hmm. different languages. Uh, My first language was actually French not English. Oh. mm -hmm. Though my command of French is not uh, as strong as say a native french speaker because right. english took over pretty quickly and french wasn't unfortunately wasn't reinforced, reinforced as much as i would uh, as i now would, would have uh, wanted, wanted it to, wanted to be <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly uh, so but that was sufficient for me to realize that that something can be expressed in different languages and even depending on what language you use, the, the, the same thought can have different connotation, or um, just the, or the same object can be expressed in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like for example, I remember I took German in high school, and uh, the, we, in English, we, we talk about a vacuum cleaner, right? A very abstract way of describing something. Mm-hmm. There's a vacuum that's created. It's very scientific, mm-hmm. and then it cleans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the Germans are much more literal in their mm-hmm. description of things, and uh, I forget what the the German word is now, but but they would say the English, the literal English translation of the German word for vacuum cleaner is dust sucker. <laughs> that's awesome. dust sucker makes sense, right? Yeah, it's very sensible, and. So, I was first introduced to Latin in, it was like a 10 week uh, get your feet wet type of approach uh, in, I think it was seventh grade. Okay. We went through a bunch of languages. This was to give people, a, a, give the students an opportunity to have a, like a taste test. Right. And then they could choose what language they wanted to take. Gotcha. The following year, I think. So, so I was introduced to classical Latin at that point but nothing really came of it. Uh, The next time was in college. There we studied Latin more, I think, just to to appreciate grammar in general, Okay. since this grammar is is part of the uh, trivium, Mm -hmm. grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Mm -hmm. So it's a formal study of how one speaks, and Latin is very helpful for that because there's a certain visual component uh, you 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 see the word change many a, a lot a lot more than in English mm-hmm. depending on how it's used in the sentence right depending on its function. so uh, so Latin was was studied in in I studied Latin rather in college and then of course uh, again in seminary. and so it was just another language uh, that I uh, was studying I should mention in the army I also studied very intensely Arabic Wow so okay. uh, so languages are not uh, foreign to me mm-hmm. no pun intended mm-hmm. um, the or the idea of studying for language and, and seeing how it expresses reality how it how it that's very cool how it conveys this or that so I was I was uh, certainly into Latin quite a bit for that uh, but also I think the other connection I, I shouldn't uh, fail to mention is that I was uh, singing a lot of Latin mm. from college onwards. I, I joined the, the choir at mm-hmm. the, and the scola oh, yeah. and so uh, a lot of motets are in Latin yeah. and yeah. all of the Gregorian chant is in right. Latin. So right. that was just another layer or another way of learning Latin. And what I think what was very helpful there was that I became, I think I was more sensitive to the pronunciation of Latin, mm-hmm. because in, in with music, you you, you really have, you wanna make sure everybody's on the same page in terms of pronunciation, or, you, or you're gonna ask, is this, am I mm-hmm. doing this the right way? Right. Know. So in that, of course, uh, ties in with, or carries over into the celebration of the mass, whether they're singing or not, uh, I'm going to uh, be, I'm probably more careful about pronunciation
0: than, than a lot of priests. Understood. Because yeah. of the, the musical background. The background. And the background that, yeah. So uh, now uh, this particular podcast has a lot of people that are discovering latin for the first time a lot of them very much like yourself you know they've probably grown up in a novus ordo Mm -hmm. environment parish and are either getting their feet wet and tasting tradition for the very first time and i've i've noticed this even just with my own journey, my wife's journey, my kids, and kids are still very mm-hmm. young, mm-hmm. but even then with, like, my mother-in-law or father-in-law or my mom and dad, when they come, the very first, I guess, roadblock they feel that they have to overcome is, I'm not going to understand anything. Right. Uh, I'm going to get there, and it's all in Latin, so it's not going to make any sense to me. Right. So th- this podcast was sort of kind of a way to help people not have too many butterflies in their stomach to make it easier, more palatable, and now it's expanding. So in your own words, what would you, why do you think it's important, whether it's people that have been going to the traditional Latin mass for a while or people that are just coming to it, why should they understand or attempt to learn Latin?
1: Well, I would say, first of all, in terms of understanding, uh, there are different levels of understanding not of, not of Latin, but of, of the Mass, um, and I think it's a sign of of our rationalistic culture that we we put a huge emphasis on the comprehension of texts, mm-hmm. as if that were if we don't do that, then we don't understand anything.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, whereas the the truth is that. Yes, the the, the the words used, that's a certain one layer of understanding, but there's a deeper understanding, a deeper level where, for example, you understand that there's something sacred going on. Mm-hmm. A child will get that. Even if he doesn't understand a word of Latin totally. or, or of English, right? Yes, <laughs> he'll understand there's something different here if the liturgy is being done in a way that's in accordance with its own nature.
0: Yes, it's, it's a sacred
1: uh, event. The the a person if he's properly catechized will also grasp very clearly from a well celebrated mass that. The Eucharist is front and center. That there's—it's a sacrifice. It's not just a community meal. Uh, he will understand too, if again, if the liturgy is being done properly, uh, that there is—it's uh, an opportunity, uh, one that makes—I should say—that makes it an easier thing to do. But it's an opportunity to pray, right? to pray, to worship, to to center oneself, if you will, uh, to, to essentially uh, be set apart from the, the uh, hustle and bustle of the world. Right. So all of these things can be understood even if you don't understand Latin, right? Beautiful. That would be the first thing I'd say. Uh, the second is that, at least for English speakers, and to say in French and Spanish and so forth, uh, but not for Korean or Japanese, uh, if you go to a Latin mass, at least fairly regularly, frequently, you will notice that you under actually understand a lot of things mm-hmm. uh, because in fact, there's so much Latin in English that we, you could say that we are speaking <laughs> a modern form of Latin. Yes. With English. Is that, what is it? 60, 70% of English yeah, words. Totally. Derived from Latin. Yeah. Uh, if we spoke English using only Anglo words, mm-hmm. words that truly are from English and not Latin, first of all, we'd be. Trouble communicating. We'd have some trouble, right? <laughs> That's right. So you're communicating there, you just use a Latin based word. Yeah. Uh, so when a person hears the Latin of the Mass, he will begin to see connections between the words used and his own English vocabulary, mm-hmm. uh, and at that point, it's what's missing is this the, the perhaps obviously there are other Latin words there's there's stuff that is not used in English, mm-hmm. uh, but also the the way in which Latin works the 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 endings of verbs, for example. What, what is it that conveys first person, second person, third person, singular and plural and so forth? Uh, how does that happen? Or, or how are nouns declined? Right? We don't decline nouns mm-hmm. in English. So that's right. how, what, what are the mechanics of a language? Right, That's something that, that it would be very difficult to pick up just going to mass. Right. So that's the sort of thing that people uh, could learn. The better to understand what's going on. Uh, now uh, something else to say about Latin Latin is used because it it adds to the sense of the sacred right? it's known as a sacred language not that it's never used in any other medium I mean, if you want to do canon law you better do yeah. Latin too you know? yeah. even though I don't call canon law a uh, sacred a sacred, a sacred uh, area right, right. it's very helpful but it's not sacred, mm-hmm. although some canon lawyers might disagree with me. Mm-hmm. In any case, uh, Latin is is a, just another way in which the Mass can be experienced as a a an event that is set apart. That's what to, to be sacred means, it's something has been set apart for some specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, when you enter a church, usually you have steps to climb, so the 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 very level of the church is set apart from the the level of the profane. Right. Uh, you enter the church. Maybe the doors are not just regular old I don't know glass doors or some right. sort that you would see in a in a typical building. No, they're maybe they're somewhat ornate. There's something special about them. Mm-hmm. But everything that is around you is mm-hmm. is helping to convey the sense of the sacred. Uh, the type of music you used um uh, and the language that is used so and the other thing to consider is that is that when you hear mass in latin you eventually become aware of the fact that what you are experiencing is what your forebears experienced hundreds of years ago mm-hmm. uh, almost a thousand years ago mm-hmm. they, they experienced it in in granted with some differences perhaps uh, but but the the Latin text was what they were hearing. You could say on the you know, in 1450, uh, when it was the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, mm-hmm. this is what they heard. Right? Wow! This is what was there, and so there's a it ties you with with history it, it ties you with your the previous generation so you don't feel completely
0: isolated
1: you're, you're, you're tied to uh, the, 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 the communion the, the community of believers not just in your own present time let say that we're worshiping here in vancouver others are worshiping in new york or mm-hmm. it's it's also through time right see? so yeah. that's that's a very very helpful thing, especially if you happen to be out in the
0: boondock somewhere. Yeah. You've got this
1: Latin mass that's connecting you with with not just people around the world, but people
0: through, through history, Yes, Through history.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's psychologically very, very helpful.
0: One of the things that I heard about Latin, and I've known this for a while, but someone reminded me of this, that Latin was one of the three languages that was that, that, that was on the cross right. with Christ right. and that's set apart that's right and in order for it to be preserved uh, from profanity you know a lot of languages uh, I believe mm-hmm. actually it was uh, Taylor Marshall had yes. done a podcast with uh, Jesse Romero where they were mm-hmm. talking about this but the profanity that's used in a lot of languages today that uh, you know to do harm or to do evil or and not that you know people aren't trying to do that with Latin but even just in the colloquial, carelessness, uh, mm. you know, to, to be able to take the name of our Lord in vain or things like that. In Latin, you don't find that in its, in its ability because it's now a dead language. Uh, For the most part. I mean, mm. people do speak Latin and I, I'm a firm believer
1: in, in teaching language, teaching Latin rather, as you would any other language. Mm. So we know how it uh, can be pronounced. or actually, I mean, There are different ways of pronouncing the language, but there's classical Latin, ecclesiastical Latin pronunciation. Uh, but we we have a good idea. <laughs> we right. know pretty well how to do that. Right. And to neglect the speaking part of of a language, it's sure it makes it into a dead language. It, it, it heads in that direction, mm-hmm. um, which has its advantages, I suppose. But still, speaking Latin is not something that should be. Avoid it. Oh, otherwise we'll we'll make it into a living language. Right. And it's true that. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go so far as Taylor Marshall. I. I mean. Yes, it's it's such since it's spoken so little. Mm-hmm. I suppose there's there's a last chance. Who who knows how to how to use profanity in Latin? Oh right. Yeah. I, I don't know. know. <laughs> but let's not forget that. That until, what maybe the sixties, uh, the. The business was conducted in the Hungarian parliament in Latin, mm-hmm. everybody spoke Latin, they were very good at it because that was one way of unifying the, the, the empire the same page, and so forth, right. there all these disparate cultures and so forth, so speaking Latin was a way of, of keeping the peace, so to speak, right. not exercising mm-hmm. some kind of cultural hegemony
0: in the parliament. So, but it has been set apart, and particularly it, yes. in ecclesiastical right. Latin. We know that it's it's not just a use, but there's an efficacy about it because the words mean exact. There's no mixing right. or mixing. Well,
1: and the fact that it, there's a stability there, because, for example, the the Nicene Creed mm-hmm. has been that way since three eighty one. Right? Yes, and or well, and it was introduced into the liturgy. I think in the 12th century, uh, courtesy of the, uh, I think Emperor Henry II, who mm-hmm. went to Rome and was like, "Why you don't have the, the creed? What's going on?" Right. Well, we don't need it. We're not. We don't have any heresies to, to worry about. Right. <laughs> but eventually, Rome accepted yeah. it, and, and it became part of the liturgy. Uh, so, but the creed is a is a a, a very stable text. Uh, it's not going to change anytime soon. I hope. Mm-hmm. And it it so the vocabulary is is stable, right? Uh, and you can say that generally about say the canon of the mass and so forth. So it's it's not as if they're technical terms, right? But there's a there's a again a stability that is, is provided there. You're using a, a a language that that fosters the the let's say the gravitas, the the. The permanence, the sense of permanence of the liturgy, which is yeah. it then gives you the sense of eternity. Mm-hmm. That's very helpful. Whereas if you're using a profane language, which is different from profanity, but mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. profane is not bad; it's just not set apart. Right. So, so uh, using a a language that is uh, typically used, say, in business, that's the English language. It's the the lingua franca. Now, yeah. If I can make a pun there. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the, it's, it's used in all kinds of different ways and it's just not a sacred language. It yeah. hasn't if If you wanted to make English into a sacred language, it seems you'd have to do what was done with Latin. You'd have to be very careful about what kind of vocabulary you're using, The way in which you're speaking, are we going to say thou and thee? Would that might help? Okay, perhaps, Mm -hmm. perhaps not, but that's these would be the kinds of questions that you ask, right? You're not just going to say, Well, let's just bring in the English the way we normally speak, yes, unless you're not interested in the sacred, the the, the cultivating a sense of the sacred, then yeah, do whatever you want. Uh, So uh, that's that's very important. Uh, That said, one of the ways in which Latin. Produces or or uh, enhances the sense of the sacred is the fact that it's not well understood. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. now I think that I mean it sounded like a veil. You know, I was like, oh, it's yeah. very mysterious. However, I think that the the sense of the sacred is not going to be uh, unduly compromised if people go there and understand exactly what is being said because they have studied Latin. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that at all they're simply using Latin in a, and understanding it uh, in a, in a sacred context. Yes. Uh, which is, is, is still holds even if they understand every word perfectly. Uh, Yeah. So I'm, I'm all for understanding Latin, uh, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I don't think it should be the, the, the only thing focused on is if that's the only thing to understand. And if I don't understand the language, then then oh, I have a terrible problem here. yeah uh, and one the other thing that should be should be appreciated with Latin is that it transcends many, many cultures. And so if you happen to have, and this is very common, if you happen to have a parish, where you have a lot of English-speaking people and a lot of Spanish-speaking people,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you're going to wind up with two, essentially two parishes, two worship communities, faith communities, as people yeah. say today, yeah. based on the different languages. Yeah, we've and seen that, that ha- happen so many uh, times. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a big pastoral challenge. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. It's a big pastoral challenge to, um, to unite or keep united a, a parish that is divided uh, according to language. Okay. Don't worry about it. It'll it'll yeah. so that is uh, this is something that Latin overcomes.
0: Yeah, this fracturing uh, yeah. within That's Catholic right.
1: communities. So yeah. some some people think the solution is, well we're gonna have we'll have a mass and we'll have some parts in English and some parts in Spanish. Which means that everybody will understand only part of the Mass if That's let's right. say they don't they're not bilingual. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's really a, a, I think that's not the, the solution. The solution is to use a language, that say that nobody understands. Okay? Yeah, right. is, that is it's equal. A, everyone's equal. the same. Nobody right? feels that, that there's any right. kind of cultural imposition being done, a you little know, cultural imperialism that people like to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the, everyone feels, again, the, the liturgy has been set apart. It's not part of English culture. It's not part of Spanish culture. It's. Yeah. It's on its own, it's set apart, yeah, this and is Latin the,
0: does that. Yeah, it's the eternal, and, and I, I've appreciated having these conversations with people and, and encouraging them to attend a Latin mm-hmm. Mass. Mm-hmm. Like with my father-in-law, this, this one time we were speaking, I said, you know, look, it, what's happening here really is we're, we're at the foot of the cross. That's what's taking place. What, what do you do at the foot of the cross? Mm-hmm. Like, if you just stop and think about this for a second, if you're actually there, there's this puncture hole through time, and now we're here, What's our job? Our, our, our job is not necessarily it's to, to do anything specific right. other than to be present and to pray and to... Well, yes, although I would
1: not want to take this analogy too far. Right. Because, uh, as I have heard some argue, the Virgin Mary was our Lord's best disciple. Yes. His mother. And as far as the Gospel record is concerned, uh, she didn't say anything at the cross, or at least she didn't say anything that, say, St. John thought was necessary to write in for our salvation so that we might believe. So, for all intents and purposes, she's silent at the cross. Mm -hmm. And then some have argued, well, if that's the model, then we should all be silent at mass, in right. fact, then the low mass is the best mass. That's oh, right, I mass. see. Yeah, and then you go down this Another rabbit, rabbit hole. That's, yeah, that's that's completely right. bogus because the normative mass is actually the solemn mass, right. where people have a, a role to do. They yes. they're supposed to sing unless it's polyphony. They they're supposed to sing the ordinary the mass and the responses. The, right. The tools. Yes, that's like right. It, yes, that's that's. Their job, so to speak. That's yeah. how they. One way in which they participate. Now, it's it's again, it's a layer of participation. The other, obviously, is interior, where the, where prayer is supposed to be taking place. Right. Uh, something else to keep in mind is that uh, the there are different purposes of the mass. One is to offer the sacrifice of the mass in uh, reparation or atonement for sin. Yes. Uh, another is Thanksgiving, right? mm-hmm. worship, mm-hmm. Uh, propitiation, yeah. or uh, petition, rather, infiltration. Yeah. So you, you, I wouldn't say that when you were at the foot of the cross, or if you were at the foot of the cross, like the Virgin Mary wasn't giving thanks to God. Correct. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Perhaps, maybe. Say, okay, I'm giving thanks to God because this is His plan, and and yeah. my son is doing this for the salvation of mankind, etc. You know, so. Okay, but but on the the most human level, she would be fulfilling up with
0: all the, of those. With, yeah,
1: right. Uh, okay, but the but the the um, the thing to realize is that the Eucharist is not simply the renewal of the sacrifice of Christ on the Calvary, as it says in the Mendieta It's also making present his not only his passion, but also his resurrection Christ. and his ascension. Yes. Because when we receive Christ in the Holy Eucharist, we're not receiving the dead, dead. Christ or right. Christ crucified. Right. But rather we're receiving the risen Christ who has ascended to heaven. Correct. Yes. And the whole Christ
0: as right. uh the theologian would say. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. That's, right? that's not right. just yeah. his body
1: and his blood without his soul. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I guess I was I was more more using that analogy just from the term of someone coming from a Nova Sordo, uh place where right. they're all of a sudden feel like they're being robbed of something to right. do well now what I would say to that is that
1: the the, the old mass is actually very liberating mm-hmm. because it it enables let's say that at the during the Canon
0: yes the priest is saying the Canon silently there's silence
1: what do I do now Someone coming from the Novus of might be at first a bit discombobulated because he doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's going on? However, perhaps over time, uh, or perhaps by my telling him right now, uh, that silence gives the faithful freedom to pray in their own words, maybe to follow the the canon, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps to meditate on something that just occurred to him. I'm going to smell the, the roses, as it were, the, mm-hmm. the, this this particular spiritual flower he's gonna he's going to stay there a little bit maybe someone else is going to pray the sorrowful mysteries or Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. whatever there's there is there's total independence right to to with obviously within the context of the mass but you're not forced to listen to the priest recite the canon right you're not forced to do that yeah i'm using that word deliberately because when that's not happening you're yeah you feel at first you might say, what do I do, what do I do, sort of like uh, uh, someone who say grew up in the former Soviet Union where there was very little to do when you went into uh, when you went into a, a, a supermarket mm-hmm. if, they, if those existed there not much on the shelves not much choice mm-hmm. you go into a then if you go if that person goes to the united states and goes into a home depot or yeah essentially like, over 30 overpassed, different yeah. cereals What is? this yeah you yeah have this what what do i do i how, how do i how do i negotiate mm-hmm. this so it's 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 a similar experience you, right. you're, you're not sure how to right. respond what to do with this because it's such a different Experience, but once you understand, you're actually free. It's like go pray. You're, yes, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're not. We're not going to be forcing you to participate in just one way by listening to me, the right. priest, recite the canon or, or
0: whatever right. else. Right, exactly. That that is a, a very um, it's a very good thing, and I think the faithful should be uh, much more resolute in preserving and protecting their liturgical freedom, so to speak. Yeah, to be able to, just, it's, and it's beautiful to be able to bring everything that you've got with you that's in your life that's to right. that exactly. moment,
1: exactly. right there. And everybody has a different thing to bring. Of course. You know, we have different, different struggles, different crises going, we're going.
0: Or from, even, like, the, right? the the joys and the that's blessings, right. and, and the whole, all of it. All of it
1: just can be brought, and, and we, uh, it's a lot harder to do that when you're being, when you're Forest, as it were, to mm-hmm. listen to yeah. the priest recite a prayer. That's right, prayer.
0: yeah. Uh, and go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, just to kind of put a bow tie, because I know we're getting up here in time, but um, just looking forward into things that we can do uh, to, we, you and I have been talking um, off recording about ideas and things like that to, to make available to listeners so that they can grow in their understanding of Latin. Yes. Uh, we talked about... Uh, understanding chant. Yes. We talked about understanding prayers, and just as a side note, one of the reasons why this I started this podcast was because I, I heard, um, just taking things into the supernatural, or the supernatural, into the what we can't see, the invisible. That demons absolutely detest Latin because yes. they can't get away with hardly anything. The the words mean mm-hmm. exactly what. Mm-hmm. So I I started praying the rosary in Latin and taught myself to do it specifically to just have a more efficacious prayer mm-hmm. life. Um, but it's just grown so much beyond that. So now into, to think about um, returning tra- to tradition and the traditional prayers that are, I mean, we might say them like the angel of God prayer, but to be able mm-hmm. to say that in Latin and to teach your children that in, in right. Latin and understanding. Um, could you talk a little bit about just ideas of uh, and perhaps things that we might make available but just ideas to to start uh, uh, learning or fostering and understanding so that when they step into tradition or they they begin to, to taste some of this they're not overwhelmed or they don't feel like they're lost right well with with
1: regard to the liturgy in general i think it's very important for adults to to try to or just to allow themselves to experience the liturgy as a child would. Mm-hmm. A child is going there with, without any other, with any preconceived notions or anything. He, as with anything, he goes and he, and he just experiences reality, whatever it might be. So, in this case, it's the liturgy. So, don't go there, don't go to the liturgy with a, um, uh, say, with how you understand or how you expect the liturgy to function. You just kind of keep an open mind. It's like if you went to a Byzantine liturgy, right? Something totally foreign. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go there. Let's say someone's bringing you as a guest. Um, you're probably not going to be trying to follow along in the in, in the Greek. Or, you will, yeah. But <laughs> you, you, basically, you're just going to watch and see and hear and, and simply take it uh, in. It's like it's like going to a concert, granted. It mm-hmm. might be more to it. You might be praying in, in your own mm-hmm. way and so forth, but you're you're experiencing something and, and it's new and and so I would say let yourself experience it the way a child would with your senses. Don't don't try to understand it like oh I gotta I open my missile and see what's going on here. At least not at first. Uh, or at least if you happen to stumble upon an old mass uh, by accident, just, yeah. <laughs> just do that. Now if you are if you are um, if you do want to really understand what's going on, that's a, that's a premium in your in your scale of values. I gotta understand that a lot. Uh, okay, no problem. But then uh, you, you are committing yourself to investing a certain amount of time. Right. Don't expect the, the liturgy to soon feed you. Mm-hmm. Right? I would say this, liturgy is like great art. It is one of the greatest works of art uh, ever produced, at least in the West, and probably only in the West. The the notwithstanding, well, and I don't want to. The same thing is true with with the Eastern right views But yeah. so just looking at the at the Roman Rite, you have uh, this this tremendous wealth. It's it's a, it's like looking at a very very elaborate oil painting of some sort, of gigantic canvas, and um, if you if you go in to a museum to look at at some, let's say, let's say the, the Sistine Chapel, just look at, at the Last Judgment scene. of you know, Right. So yes. Like yeah. You just look at that. Oh, that's nice. And then you go, you go on your merry way. Have you really understood that? No. Okay. You've seen a few colors and so forth, but no, okay, there are hundreds of characters, all kinds of stuff is going on. Uh, you could spend a long time <coughs> studying that, that In one painting, painting Yeah. that yeah, one painting and, and Another thing to realize is the, the the way that you experience something is going to differ according to uh, your own education. Right? If you're a Buddhist, looking at the the fresco of Raphael of uh, the uh, what's known as the, the the Disputation on the Sacrament,
0: right? Right. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Where you see
1: the painting uh, of, of the sanctuary, it turns yeah. out of St. Peter's. There's an altar of monstrance, and then atop is a, a cloud bench with, with all these uh, saints from mm-hmm. the Old and New Testament. All right, so if you're a Catholic looking at that, you're gonna pick up a lot of information because you you know you're educated as a Catholic, and so you, you can see stuff that exactly. Raphael is doing. Right. If you're a Buddhist, you, know, you don't know anything about Christianity, you're gonna look at that and say, well, Raphael is obviously a pretty talented painter. He's very balanced, look at that, it's wonderful. Does he have any any idea what it's all about? No. no. Okay. So, in a similar way, with uh, with liturgy, don't expect and don't demand to know everything there is to know uh, on day one. So that right. when you when you celebrate when you participate in a liturgy, you your your demand for understanding everything is satisfied. Mm-hmm. So no. It's a work of art. It's a great work of art. You need to do a little work. You need to experience a bit more so that you can understand it gradually. Just as you expect the same thing when you look at a Michelangelo fresco or Raphael. You don't expect to understand everything that's there immediately. Right. There, it's too big. It's too great. Too rich for that. Right. Uh, unless you're, you're you've 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 studied it, uh, even in, even. In, uh, an art critic has to study something like that yes, in order totally. to really you might get much more out of it because of his education but still you have to as it were meditate ponder on yes, such works yeah, of art totally and the liturgy is the same way so that has to be uh, just accepted in, in, uh, at the very beginning uh, don't don't be disappointed or or frustrated if you don't understand it as easily as you think you understand what's going on at the new mass I mean it's amazing how many people don't even understand yes. what the mass is all no. about totally, even yeah. though everything is in the vernacular right, right. exactly because, <laughs> yeah. so far as more people understood what the mass was really about yeah, that's right. when it was in Latin not in because here. it was in Latin but because they had certain catechesis I correct, suppose, yes that so it's it's a uh it's a it's a lifelong process i mean the liturgy is meant to be the basis of your life you know, yeah. the, the, of your christian worship of prayer and so forth so it should have it should it should be rich it should be solid it should be something that you can sink your teeth into it's not yeah. something that's uh here we go again it's the same thing yeah and it's really a mark of genius that you have a certain repetition mm-hmm. in the liturgy and yet it's, it doesn't get boring right, right? It, there's it's like listening to a great piece of music. Right? Yeah. It doesn't get boring.
0: Yeah. It's, and in fact, you'll probably right. pick things out that you didn't hear that's the first right, time. That's right, it?
1: exactly. So, this is uh, this is how I would say the faithful should should be uh, let's say, have the humility to appreciate that what they are getting into is bigger than they are. Mm-hmm. And, and it requires a certain effort on their part. But it's an effort that will be rewarded. It's like, again, going to the opera. If you, if you pay good money to get a seat at the opera and you want to watch, I don't know, Marriage of Figaro by Mozart, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose you could just pay it and then just go and say, oh, this is nice. But usually what people do, especially if they pay a lot of money to, to, to go there, they're, they're going to study that opera. Totally. They're going to know who's playing, who are the singers, mm-hmm. what's the libretto, what's the plot, what's going on. Mm-hmm. There, so that when they go in there, even though it's in Italian, they have studied it well enough where okay. they understand exactly what's going on. Of course, they're usually the translation provided, yeah. but, but still, they, they they get it. And if they're really fanatic, they're going to learn Italian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, they're going to go overboard. <laughs> but but they, they do some some preliminary work so that they have what's called learned perceptivity. They, mm. they perceive as those who are learned. Right? They've, they've learned something about what they are looking at. Yeah. So that it's not just hitting them, and, and, and there's no comprehension. What's it's
0: not what. just sensory uh, data that's, that's right. just being, you know, imprinted right. on exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. they're, they're able so to they're intellectually right. contemplate that's what's right. being given to that's them right. at the same time. So while I don't think
1: it's it's vital that people learn Latin and understand it and everything, uh, it's not essential certainly for one's salvation. Right. Still. It's there are many people who who do, and there's nothing wrong with learning a language, and there's certainly nothing wrong with with understanding that that layer of the liturgy. Right. The better to, appre- to appreciate it. Too. Totally. And so, for those of those who have reached that level, who have have that desire, I'm happy to provide a, a certain uh, service, uh, and how that's done that, that can vary too. If some people have no Latin, some people have some Latin. Uh, and and just need a kind of a, a guide, uh, or or want something that that will just help them. You know, with totally. That. So, uh, the the I would say it's probably a good idea for people to, who are interested in this to to have some kind of Latin book, a Latin tech, a Latin grammar book. There are so many out there. Uh, take your pick. That way, if if say I talk about. I don't know the accusative case, or the parts of speech, or the, this is a verb, this is a noun. Right? You, you, you're not like, what is he talking about? So right. a lot of, a lot of, when you're learning a language, there's a lot of technical terminology. Yeah. And uh, it's, it might sound intimidating at first, but it's, it's just to give your, your, your mind clarity about the concepts involved. Uh, you want to know what the difference is between a subject and an object. Correct. Uh, uh, and hence, between the nominative case and the accusative case, these are terms that have come down from centuries of studying language and teaching language, and they they can't be discarded because we don't like them. No, we have to learn them. Yeah, <laughs> there's no no way. This of is going to help you actually right. in the long run. So, uh, so unfortunately, grammar is not a is not a very strong subject in uh, most people's education, and so this might there might be a learning curve even in one's own language. Uh, But it's helpful, it's very, very helpful to learn a language to know these terms. It's almost, in fact, it's, I would say it's essential. Uh, So, uh, not to worry, but it's, with with Latin, you can't help but get into this stuff because in order to explain why, say, uh, it's dominus rather than dominum in this particular sentence, you have to talk about the difference between the and the accusative case, and what those, why those two cases exist, yes. and what their function is. Yeah, and so uh, that might be one one way to do this: you know, to you yeah. to, uh, say the, the angelus as we were talking about, right? And and then uh, talk about the, the what's going on grammatically, uh, because the, the sentences in the, in the say the, the little versatile responses of mm-hmm. the angelus are short enough where you can you can provide a translation and, and even uh, you can see it pretty clearly, but then to say, well, okay, here's what's going on grammatically and explaining that and then maybe using that as a launch pad for maybe talking more, say, for conjugating or, or declining a, a verb or noun, respectively, mm-hmm. and to show how, how things work. Like, right. That might be very, very yeah. helpful.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Um,
1: so we'll see how things go, and uh, and I'm sure you'll be able to see from your uh, podcast uh, statistics whether
0: yeah whether there's good feedback and good pe- liking on it. Right Absolutely, that. no, that's fantastic. Well, I do want to wrap this up because I know we've been here now more than an hour, and uh, and it's been very informative and a joy to just talk to you about all of this. Uh, but uh, would you mind uh, maybe just? Uh, uh, finishing us off with with a prayer and uh, and then we'll uh, say goodbye well why don't we we pray the uh the ave maria
1: yeah. and then i'll i'll impart a uh priestly blessing mm-hmm. you know Ave Maria, gratia plena, donnus tecum, benedicta
0: tui mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus nunc, et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Benediccio Dei, omni votantes,
1: patris et vidi, deus sancti, deus nat super vos et maniat semper. Amen. There we go. Amen.
0: Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. What's going to be coming next is actually from father fromageau himself he has recorded the altar server responses at low mass and since i've been learning how to serve at low mass i've discovered that there is something magnificent and beautiful If you don't know what the Latin is saying, you need to look at it. You need to understand it. And Father teaches it to you in a very, very digestible format with the English corresponding to it. I will put up all of the text in the show notes so that you'll be able to follow along. I know you're going to love this next episode. So until then, God love you. Valete. God bless.